This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I hope February is treating you well. Hey, have I told you guys I love you? <laughs> it's the day after Valentine's Day when I'm recording this. Actually, because of my schedule and a bunch of other things, my family and I, my wife and I, we're not really celebrating Valentine's Day until tomorrow, February the 16th. So love is on my mind. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for reading the blog, buying the books, doing everything you can to um, learn about Jesus, learn about Scripture along with me as we all seek to break free from the shackles of religion. This is episode number 65. We're looking at Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Let me ask you, do you have an enemy? Maybe during the previous eight years it was President Obama. (laughs) If not, then maybe right now it's President Trump. Depending on where you fall on that, uh, maybe it's uh, Islamic terrorists or the religious nut jobs <laughs> here, here in the United States. We have a bunch of those as well, don't we? Uh, maybe it's, you know, say, oh, no, Jeremy, I don't really have enemies. Well, okay. But, uh, you know, maybe it's someone you just can't stand to be around. Family member, co-worker, neighbor, something like that. Anyway, whoever it is, put them in your mind. Think about them and imagine what would you do if God showed up in your living room later today, family room, dining room, whatever, and said, hey, you know that person you just can't stand to be around? Well, I don't care much for them either, and I have a message of judgment I want you to tell them. If that happened to you, what would you do? Well, that's exactly what happened to Jonah. And today in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, we're going to see that God calls Jonah to go preach against Nineveh. We're going to talk about why this happened and also look briefly at Jonah's response. Now, before we uh, do that, though, have you joined me online in my discipleship group? I've got some uh, courses there for you, as well as several free ebooks, a bunch of other things all intended to help you understand God's grace and love for you, to help you break free from the shackles of religion, ultimately help you become who God made you to be. To learn more about all this and join me online, just go to redeeminggod.com join. It's redeeminggod.com join. Can't wait to see you there. Just a second, and we will begin our study of Jonah 1, verse 2. So we're looking at Jonah 1, 2, but for the sake of context, we're also going to be reviewing Jonah 1, 1, and then we will finish up with a quick look at the first part of Jonah 1, 2. Three, I want you to remember that Jonah is a story. Uh, I also want you to remember what we looked at in the first study of Jonah, which was two episodes ago, where I invited you to pretty much forget everything you think you know about the story of Jonah. If you really want the story of Jonah to grab you, you know, to teach you what you're supposed to see in this story, 
you need to think, uh, you know, forget about everything you think you know and, and read the story with fresh eyes. So forget about what you've heard about this story before and look with me at Jonah 1, 1 and 2. Now, last week when we looked at Jonah 1, 1, we summarized the historical situation that Jonah found himself in. And remember, the, the story of Jonah takes place during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And it's during this reign, during his reign, that the uh, nation of Israel was growing in power and prominence. And of course, off to the east, another nation was growing in power and prominence, and that was the nation of Assyria. And of course, uh, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria, remember, we looked at last time, was an evil, uh, wicked, idolatrous nation. They were violent, vicious, cruel. Uh, And Israel, of course, was certain that God hated the people of Israel as much as the people of Israel hated them. I'm sorry, God hated the people of Assyria as much as the people of Israel hated them. (laughs) Uh, And then there's this Jonah. Jonah, at the time, was the most popular prophet in the, the, the nation of Israel. We read in uh, 2 Kings 14 that Jonah prophesied that the borders of Israel would expand, uh, and, and that's what happened. The nation of Israel grew in power and wealth and prominence. So you can imagine, if you're Jonah, right, you're very popular among the people of Israel. You prophesied Israel would become great again, and it happened. Of course, uh, there's this threat of Assyria off to the east, and everyone's concerned about that as well. Maybe some people are coming even asking you, hey, what's God going to do about that? What's, how's God going to protect us? Right? So uh, one day, you're Jonah, you know, put yourself in Jonah's shoes or sandals or whatever, and uh, you're going about your business, and the word of the Lord comes to you. It's what we read in Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It comes to, he comes to you again. And, uh, you know, Jonah has already proven to the people of Israel, that he speaks for God, and he's proven that when God speaks through Jonah, God brings to pass what he said, right? So you're Jonah, and one day God comes and speaks to you again, and what does God say? Well, this is Jonah 1-2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Well, this is good news, isn't it? God, apparently, is telling Jonah here, I've seen the wickedness of the Assyrian people over there. Their capital city, Nineveh, is full of wickedness. And so, Jonah, I want you to go and cry out against it. Now, if you were popular before as this prophet in Israel, you'd be doubly popular now, right? You can go tell the people of Israel that God is on your side, our side, against the people of Nineveh. You can tell the people of Israel that just as God prophesied through you before that Israel would grow in power and prominence, so now God is prophesying through you that he is going to destroy, overthrow that evil city Nineveh. So, uh, and here in Jonah 1-2, let's just talk a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh is described as a great city. How great was it? Well, keep that question in mind, because we will see later in the story just how great the city was. The, the text doesn't tell us here much about the greatness of uh, Nineveh, so we're just going to have to leave that question unanswered for ourselves as well. 
But regardless of how great the city was, God has noticed that it is evil. And again, as I mentioned in last week's episode, I think it was, Nineveh was widely known for its pride, its greed, its brutality, adultery, hostility. Okay? Every, every sin that could be committed, uh, the people of Nineveh did it. They did it all. And that word for evil here, or wickedness, depending on your translation, is the Hebrew word raw. And um, I, I sort of just want to point it out now, because raw is a common theme in the book of Jonah. It's used nine times, uh, all in varying contexts. And really, I believe one of the central questions in the book of Jonah is, what is raw? What is evil? What, who can commit wickedness? Okay, and frankly, I'm not sure raw, or I'm not sure evil or wickedness is even the best translation of raw, um, but uh, that's because the book of Jonah wants to teach us something about raw. Is evil raw only in the eye of the beholder? D- does evil ever come from God? Can righteous people, even prophets, do evil things? Can they commit raw? Or is it only evil people, like those Ninevites, who do evil? Okay, All of those questions are questions that the book of Jonah wants us to be asking. And one thing that helps us understand the evil in view here is that last phrase in verse 2. In most English translations, it says something like, their wickedness, that's the, the raw, has come up before me. That's pretty lame and not, not very good detail. In fact, not even a good translation. In Hebrew, it literally reads, their evil has come before my face. I did my uh, master's thesis on honor and shame in the Bible, the concepts of honor and shame. Here in the United States, we operate on sort of a uh, materialistic system. Most Middle Eastern, Eastern countries, especially ancient cultures in the Middle East, like all Mediterranean biblical cultures, operated around honor and shame. And they were the, the, the primary social and cultural values of the time. Above all else, people wanted to protect their honor and gain more honor for themselves and their family. That was their goal. To lose honor or to be shamed was a great tragedy, the greatest tragedy that could befall you and your family. And so, so certain actions had to be taken to, to defend one's honor, if that was necessary, or regain honor that might have been lost, Right. Now, uh, I bring that up because in honor, shame, honor and shame cultures, they are often symbolized with certain body parts. All right, the, the head and the face and the right hand are symbols of honor. The left hand, the feet, and the buttocks, right, and a couple other places are symbols of dishonor. All right, so uh, it's true that the evil of Nineveh has come before God, all right? But the Hebrew is much more forceful about it, especially in an honor-shame culture, when it says uh, that it has come before his face, all right? Uh, It's a cultural way of saying God's honor is being challenged, right? Uh, In in an honor-and-shame culture like Jonah's, uh, the the, culture he was living in, the terminology used here in Jonah 1-2 sort of is, was a typical way of saying, you have dishonored me, right? Or they have shamed me. I, I suppose, you know, just sort of keep the imagery of the face, uh, 
coming before the face of God here in, in mind, we could almost use a similar idiom, well, a figure of speech that we might use today, uh, and we could, we could almost translate this Hebrew phrase here as, they have slapped me in the face. Their evil has slapped me in the face, right? When someone slaps you in the face, it's, it's dishonorable, right? It's an, a, an attack on your honor. It's a very similar idea that we have here at the end of Jonah 1-2. Okay, now I bring this up not only because it's here in one two, but also this theme of dishonoring God, of slapping him in the face, becomes very, very important in the story of Jonah. All right, I want you to keep it in mind <laughs> because we're going to see that there is a lot of slapping God in the face in the book of Jonah, and we'll see how God responds. Anyway, uh, here God says that the people of Nineveh. Uh, their evil has slapped him in the face. They, their evil is an affront to his honor. Their raw is an affront to his honor. All right, so uh, what God does, again, honor, shame, culture. A head of a household, if the family honor or if the head of the household's honor is attacked, someone's uh, trying to dishonor them, to shame them, then what they do is they call upon their uh, family members or the military, right, to, to respond, And so that's what God is doing here to Jonah. He's saying, hey, Jonah, the Ninevites have assaulted my honor. They have slapped me in the face. And you, Jonah, you're my right-hand prophet. You're my guy. I am calling on you to go and defend my honor to the people of Nineveh. Okay? To, to, um... You're my spokesman, and it is your duty, it is your responsibility, Jonah, to go defend my honor. Okay? That is what God is telling Jonah, and and I can't emphasize this enough. The task that God gives to Jonah here would be welcome news to any Israelite. Remember, Israel was very concerned with the growing power and influence of Assyria out east. News... You know, that God had called Jonah to go and cry out against the wickedness of Nineveh, that would be well received. I mean, they knew from numerous, numerous passages in the Hebrew Bible that when God pronounces judgment on a wicked nation, that means that God is about to destroy that nation, right? You can read in Genesis 6 about the the wickedness of the people on the earth, right? And then the flood comes. Um, you can read in Genesis 18, Genesis 19, the wickedness of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, what happens? Fire and brimstone. Uh, when the people enter the promised land, God saw the wickedness of the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, right? So on and so forth. Uh, a result, uh, the Israelites go and uh, completely destroy those people. That's Exodus 23, 1 Samuel 15. God tells the Israelites to utterly destroy the wicked Amalekites. Okay, and so on and so forth, all the way through the Hebrew Bible. So, so here... In Jonah, okay, it's like all the pieces are in place. We've got a prophet, we've got God's blessing, apparently, on Israel, and we have this wicked, evil nation off to the east, and we have God, whose honor has been insulted, calling on his prophet to go and cry out against that wicked, evil Nineveh. Right? And you can imagine, again, put yourself in Jonah's shoes. Imagine you were popular before <laughs> prophesying that Israel's nations would be, uh, Israel's uh, borders would be expanded. Imagine how popular you will be now. Okay? 
Now that you are the one who goes and cries out against Nineveh, and then God destroys that enemy nation off to the east. Okay? So, that's the picture that the story of Jonah has set up for us in these first two verses. We have Jonah, a popular, successful prophet, whom God has spoken through in the past to expand the power and influence of Israel, right? Then off to the east, we have Nineveh, this wicked, evil city who sins in every way possible, right? And their sin is an affront to God, God's honor. And best of all, God is calling this popular prophet Jonah to go cry out against the evil city of Nineveh. It's going to be great. Enemy nation of the east is going to be destroyed. Jonah will preach, prophesy against them. And like all the evil nations and peoples of the past, God will sweep the evil from the face of the earth, right? And Jonah will return home, a hero (laughs) returning home. So, with all of that in mind, read the very first part of Jonah 1, 3. It says this, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. (laughs) Wait. What? (laughs) All right, if you don't know your geography, you know, Tarshish, it doesn't actually exist uh, anymore. But uh, if Nineveh is east uh, of Israel, Tarshish is pretty much as far west as you can possibly go. It was the the edge of the known world. It was on the western edge. It's over in Spain, all right? Uh, About as far across, as far away as you could possibly go and still be on land. All right, it was the edge of the known world. Why would Jonah do this? It's very confusing, right? There's something very strange going on here in the text. Again, put yourself in Jonah's shoes. You are a prophet of God who has been clearly used by God in the past to speak truth to your people and help them. And now it seems that God is calling on you to do the same thing, to go and cry out against this enemy nation, these wicked people who were clearly God's enemies off to the east. Don't you think that if that was you, you would be on the very next plane over there, the very next bus, the bus, the very next camel, whatever. Again, we started off today's podcast episode asking you who your enemies were, and if God showed up and said, go and, and uh, preach against them that I'm not pleased with them and I'm going to destroy them, right? Don't you think you would do it? Right? If it's the Muslim terrorists in Iran, right? Or communists in North Korea, Trump and Fox News, liberal media, the rioters and looters, I don't care who it is for you. Right? Whomever it is, imagine if God came to you and said, hey, I've noticed the same evil that you've noticed. And I need someone to take a message of judgment to them, and I want you to be that person. So go. Go tell them that their actions are wicked and evil, and I am going to bring them down. Okay, If God came to you and said that to you about this person or people group, whoever it is, who, who you think is your enemy, or just someone you just can't stand, right? God's not going to strike them dead or anything, but maybe they're going to get sick or lose their job, or you know, maybe they'll just repent. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, right? And you would be the spokesperson of God who brought that message to them. Don't you think you would immediately go off and deliver the message of God to this person or people group? Of course you would. Any one of us would. I would. But not Jonah. Instead, he gets on a boat headed in the opposite direction. And the question is why? 
Why would Jonah do this? What is he thinking? Why does he not jump at the opportunity to declare a message of judgment upon his enemies? Well, that's the question the story doesn't answer right away for us in the text. And I'm not going to answer it either. In fact, um, the answer to that question doesn't come until the very end of the story. And I know, I know, again, I told you to forget the story of Jonah. But I know you're already skipping ahead to the end of the story and you think you know the answer. Trust me, you don't. Yes, Jonah thinks he knows the answer, but even he doesn't. Okay, again, don't ruin the story. Don't jump ahead. I mean, you can, obviously. If you want to go look at the end of Jonah and see what Jonah tells God why he did this, you can. But Again, if you do that, remember, that's not the answer. We'll see the answer when we get there. So I I do want you to stick around. Look, savor the story as it unfolds along with me, right? If you think it's, here's why, by the way. If you think it's strange what Jonah does now, going in the opposite direction when God calls him to cry against his enemies, the story's only going to get stranger in the next couple verses. And uh, that's where we're going to pick up next week with uh, Jonah 1.3. All right, look at maybe a couple verses next time. And uh, hey, don't, don't, don't forget to join me in the discipleship area of redeeminggod.com either. Uh, there's two courses there for you already. I've got a third one along the way. There's a bunch of free eBooks. Um, there is a free discipleship level there, the faith. You get access to one course and some free lessons from the other course that way and some free eBooks. But if you want it all and uh, you also want to help support the ministry that I'm doing through my teaching, writing, this podcast, um, reaching the millions of people around the world every year that we do. I would really appreciate it if you would join the Hope or Love discipleship levels there because uh, that gives you access to everything and it also helps keep the work I'm doing going. So anyway, I hope you join me there. Can't wait to see you there. And I also can't wait to meet you back here next week as we continue our study of Jonah. By the way, if you want to join me in the discipleship area, that's redeeminggod.com slash join. I said that earlier, but just a reminder, just in case. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I uh, can't wait to see you next week when we sort of begin to see something new and different and surprising about Jonah and his mindset <laughs> and what he's doing when he flees in the opposite direction. Anyway, can't wait to see you then. That's all for now. See you next week. Bye. Bye.